Hey, friends, welcome back to another podcast, B-Side. Hey, Tri. Hey, Jonathan. So we uh, we had we were like, hey, let's do this B-Side right after Lisa, after we spoke with Lisa. And then we were both kind of like, nope, this can't happen. This We are, we are like shredded yes. on the inside. <laughs> and then we tried again and then we tried again. Anyway, here we are. Here we finally are. Uh, we actually logged into the Zoom call the last time. We logged. <laughs> we fully logged in, and uh, and it just wasn't the right thing to do that day. No, no. Nope, so we took that. a break. I I don't know if I've ever been more nervous for an interview than mm-hmm. interviewing Lisa. Like early in my podcast career, I would just get nervous because it was new and I would get the jitters. But then I just got really comfortable with just who I am and what I do. What made you? Okay. Well, this is the problem. Because it's like white man nervousness. <laughs> this is the same thing that I ran into with Christina Cleveland, where mm. and and Christina had called it out on her her social like that week, where it's like white people are nervous to have conversations because the high stakes for them is that they're going to use the wrong language and make some microaggressions and other things and feel stupid, mm-hmm. feeling stupid. And not large and in charge is the high stakes loss that white Mm. people rock up to these conversations with. Meanwhile, people of color are trying to not be murdered. Mm -hmm. And so even as I feel nervous, I've got this in the back of my head going, okay, what, what what are you used to in your social spaces? And... How did that happen? Mm-hmm. And what and and what was the cost to other people over 500 years for you to feel large and in charge and large and in charge by default? Mm-hmm. And it's it's also a, a, a masculine issue, right? It's not mm-hmm. just a race issue. Mm-hmm. I remember once sitting in a in a meeting with two male colleagues who were both director level and a female colleague who was a kind of like a lower tier on the ladder of nonsense. <laughs> and, uh, and she, and she was the subject matter expert and we went round and round for like probably 35 minutes before she could get her voice in. Wow. And we all felt so bad because the guys were not like, we were not a-holes. We were just having fun being bulldog men in in a brainstorming negotiating context. And so we're shooting each other down. We're going back and forth. We're all this kind of high energy male talk. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know. I think it changed me. It changed me forever. I felt so ashamed of not having created a more welcoming space for her in that. And that was probably five years ago that I've tried to pay attention to who's not speaking in the room like you right now <laughs> like i think it's interesting hearing your heart behind it because we kind of debriefed a little bit in the days leading up to this interview um of just how intense it felt in both of our bodies one reading her book fortune is so powerful but absolutely ripped us both wide open um but then also just the obvious, if we came about it from different places, right, as a white male or as a woman of color, but even as a woman of color, I'm a brown woman of color, I'm an Indian woman of color, that's different than being a black woman of color, right? And just being aware of the weight that that carries and how all of us are coming in from different positions of privilege. So yeah, it was heavy going into it and also between you and I being newer in our podcasting journey together of figuring out, okay, so how do we do this together as a white male and a woman of color? And we've talked about this before. We're like, this plays out in messy ways in my own marriage. We're like, because I'm married to a lovely white man and it's, it's messy, right? Doing this in spaces where you have other races present 
Um, and not everything said is really flattering. We were laughing. So Jonathan and I shared the same copy of the book to read. And so I read it first and he was making fun of, well, not making fun of me. It was a note that if I underlined it, you didn't underline it because you were underlining different things, different things in the books were speaking to us. Um, that was just so fascinating to me. (laughs) It never even crossed my mind. Like, Hey, first of all, I, I often read books highlighted by a friend of mine because he lends me books and I love his highlighting method. It's so fascinating. And so as soon as I picked up the copy that when you gave it back, I was like, oh, cool. I'll get to see how Trifina highlights and and like it'll be fascinating to see the insight into her mind. <laughs> and it was confusing to me. <laughs> She's laughing very hard and has pulled her face away from the microphone. Um, it was so fascinating. Like we fully just underlined the different, like you underlined one, the sentences at one end of a paragraph and I underlined the ones at the other end pretty consistently all throughout the book. But again, that makes sense to me. Like, because there's things like she, she is obviously inhabiting her space, Mm -hmm. writing to people with similar experiences to her, but she's also writing to a wide public and white audience. Like she's written this book for a great many different audiences. Yeah. And you and I are turning up with multiple different audiences in ourselves. It was, yeah, it was just a fascinating entry point. And then we had to have the conversations of realizing you and I have had like nauseating, like many conversations about race, not nauseating, but just at nausea. Um, and so I didn't think this would be a big deal because I'm like, oh, okay. Like one of my good friends, like we've talked about all the things, you know, most of my life experiences, I know most of your, like, you know, we're, we're good. And then I personally in my body began to spiral. I'm like, I'm having this conversation with a white male present who, and you were like being honest about your nerves going into it. And I'm like, okay, so, and I'm making this up in my head. I'm like, now I'm worried about his fragility. Like what is happening? I'm like, oh my goodness. And I messaged Jonathan. I'm like, this can't be like you, like, what, what are we talking about? Like, well, Jonathan can't be talking the whole time, but also I can't be the one talking because you didn't just bring me in as like your token person of color, like co-host. And I'm like, I spiraled, <laughs> but but most of that, I think you didn't spell out explicitly. I kind of heard you say all of that, but I think what you said was like, I am wrestling with doing this with a white man. <laughs> but, but I was like, yeah, okay. Like I, I get, I, I understand what's being unsaid. I think. <sighs> but it was good. All yeah. that to say. Okay. So how was the actual interview for us? So Lisa how? rocks up and preaches the gospel. Oh my goodness. I was shook. Yeah. It, it, yeah, I was I was so moved. I, I felt like such an honor. Mm. Um, I felt like I was f- so fumbly, and I, I, you know, I felt this, Mm-mm. like I felt this need to give dignity and honor in some way, not knowing how to do that or if it would even be received, if that's even appropriate, if you know, if that was centering my discomfort. And but I felt like she was so gracious, and so not needing to impress anybody. Mm-hmm. And so just sharing the truth of fire and air and water and love and life and like what this earth needs to be repaired. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's lots of different things have stuck with me. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the biggest things I think is when she gets into the forgiveness piece. Yeah you know, wisely, wisely contextualizing that with the entire story first. Mm -hmm. But basically saying in terms of reparations, those who have been oppressed cannot look to the oppressor to make them whole again. Yeah. That's not to say that the the oppressor doesn't have a role in truth telling and making obviously truth telling and making things right and coming humbly and, and saying what can we do to make this right but like that's a separate thing mm-hmm. like that was so helpful for me to have that spelled out in like razor sharp precision you know as as an offender this is what you do to make right your sins 
as someone who is a victim of oppression, this is what we do, you do, to get free of the poison of this. Mm-hmm. And so there's talk about forgiveness, there's talk about reconciliation, there's talk about reparations, there's talk about all these things in the right proper places. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, the part that really just struck home for me, um, I suppose because it it's a principle that lifts beyond race because I don't feel racially oppressed. That's not been my part of the story. Um, but that, that piece that we cannot, no one can look to their abuser, their oppressor, the wrongdoer to make them whole again. Mm-hmm. We can demand justice. We can expect that person to do their work, but only God can heal and make mm-hmm. whole and return what was lost. And that that was very powerful to me. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure some people could hear that, could hear me saying that still and say, oh, great. It sounds like he's glad to just be let off the hook. Um, I don't think that's where I'm coming from. No. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking through my own interpersonal relationships and thinking, you know, I've sat in unforgiveness over with people because I want what was lost, for, what was taken from me to be restored. And I've had to learn that I can't turn to the one who took it to give it back. I can only turn to God. Yeah. But And I've learned that because Lisa told it to me. So um, that was a big learning point for me. In addition to all the, the race history that was, like you said, truly hard um, in my body. Mm-hmm. Read page after page after page. Yeah, it was... It was like drinking from a firing hose, right? Like I felt, and I think you and I had made the decision in advance of just like, we want to free her up to just talk as much as possible. And she did. And I'm so grateful for it because hearing her articulate some of the work, the thoughts out loud versus just having read them um, was so healing and mind blowing to listen to. But yeah, the part about forgiveness, what I took away from because you're right, like I thought her conversation about reparations was so timely, especially as like we're you know globally having this conversation about the monarchy and all of that, um, and even just in our own country, um, in terms of indigenous lives and in our land, what that looks like. But what I loved about what I personally needed to hear from her was the emphasis she had on agency. Mm. I have agency for my healing and for my wholeness. And I don't need you. So you can go now. That's right. And I was like, oh, it actually is really empowering. Part of the conversation I've been having with different girlfriends, just even right now around the whole church to movement. And as we hear of pastor and pastor, um, you know, and scandal and scandal breaking of sexual and spiritual abuse and ritual abuse within the church is we end up in this space of being very victim-minded and like, absolutely. You were victimized, like your power in so many ways were stripped and so much garbage and shit has happened to you. But we often stay in that place of woe is me versus actually, and like in some ways that's actually so dehumanizing to women as often has happened to women. I'm not delegitimizing men who have been abused. Um, Where it then becomes, oh, women don't have power because it's been stripped from you. But actually no, like, the act of forgiveness is reclaiming your agency and your power that, yeah, really hard, horrible shit has happened, but that's not going to define you. And you have a God, like she said it, like I have a God who's going to move heaven and earth and democracy for me. Um, But I don't need it from you. Cause even like, even when she spoke about reparations, um, with the American church, right? As the American church really became the cornerstone for, or the marketplace for for so many um, slaves from Africa. Uh, she's like, even if you gave back, like she, she, I don't remember the number she had thrown out, but it was peanuts, right? Mm-hmm. For each life. It's like each person is getting like $5 back or something like ridiculous like that. And like, you can't actually pay back people the harm that's happened to them. Exactly. Right. Um, so that was really like the agency part was really powerful to me. And then even she continued, she talked about the Lord's prayer, about our father being actually a call for justice and just like 
almost like a battle cry. Mm. Um, which just again reminded me the power of why we need to be hearing and learning theology from different people groups, from different genders, from people who have walked different lives than ours. Because how often has, have I heard that? And it's been taught as like a lullaby, as like a comforting, like, you know, um, story where or prayer with no historical context. Almost every uh, time she turned to scripture oh, in that book yeah. and told a story, it was completely different than the way I'd ever heard it told. Yeah. I was like, I haven't heard the gospel until I've heard it from you. Yeah. I have not opened the Bible until you opened it to me. So yes, hundred percent. That's exactly it. Like she's, did you remember like the comment she made about the gift of tongues? Hold on, yeah, I got oh, yeah. The gift of tongues. The first thing the spirit does is grant everyone their indigenous languages in the context of empire, where there's one language, and gives everybody else the ability to like people the ability to understand. Yeah, yeah. She's great. So she's like, Acts two shows us what happens when God's reign is unleashed on earth. Tongues are loosed, and colonized people forced to speak one common trade language suddenly speak each other's indigenous language and they understand each other. <laughs> I was floored. I can just sit there for years and never and like not fully unpack what like the level of weight of what she just said. I have heard so many sermons. Yes. I have been in the charismatic church for the last 23 years mm -hmm. and have never once heard someone point out that these were indigenous yes. that was really healing to me there was something really powerful about that because we've always talked about not always but i've, I've heard the gifts of gift of tongues being spoken as like a it's a manifestation of the spirit on your life. If like, if you are so blessed, if there is enough favor on your life. Right. Um, but just even as a second generation immigrant, like so much of my indigenous language, like my mother tongue has been lost mm -hmm. because I don't speak it as much. I would, I would come home from school and it wasn't cool to speak it anymore. Right. Now I'm married in, in a relationship where the other person doesn't speak it. So it's just, you lose it. And so there's been so much, assimilation that's happened for the sake of fitting in versus like actually know what the spirit is doing when the spirit like has freedom to move is actually calling like that back out of you it's calling your authentic original heart back i don't know i'm not i don't know if i'm articulating that in the way that it's in my head sounds beautiful but I've been wrestling a lot lately. This is a little bit of a tangent. This is, I guess this is what the B-side is, right? Is how often we in our evangelical faith have created everything to be a testimony, right? Like everything mm -hmm. goes from point A to point B. This is who I was before Christ and this is who I am now. And so even like on a really like superficial level, like Trifina in high school was super ratchet and talked a lot of shit and hung out with only boys and all these things. So when Jesus came in her life, look at how healed up she got and how, you know, she's more like she's quote unquote more put together. She's more white is what happened, right? Mm -hmm. Like I learned how to play in the white evangelical world and how to, and I mean, like, yes, there was healing and why, okay, why did Trifina not have friends that were girls? Like there was healing that needed to happen, but it, I'm realizing now in my thirties, I'm like, oh, so much of, like, I'm returning to the high school Trifina a little bit because so much of that creating of a testimony was losing who I am authentically and who I was created mm. to be um, and kind of putting on that mask. So I fit into this evangelical bubble. Anyways, that's like, that is my tangent, but just realizing, like, I just found what she said about like the spirit, when the spirit's unleashed, it's actually calling you back to that original place of creation felt really beautiful. It also changes, like, how does that change your perspective on the Tower of Babel? Interesting. I've certainly, I've certainly heard those linked mm -hmm. many times. You know, in 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 exegesis, right? Where uh, God supposedly, you know, the story that we have is that God yeah. scattered the people and confused their languages, 
to prevent them building a tower to heaven. Mm. That part at the end, it all begins to fall apart because I'm like, okay, this makes no kinds of no kind of sense. Like, uh, we're talking about ziggurats, right? That that are pretty cool to see today, eight thousand years later, but they're not going to reach the heavens as if God is even physically yeah. leo geo like geolocated upwards. Uh, I don't I don't know really what to do with that i i need lisa or someone else to come and teach me you know we need we need we know who we need we need will gaffney we need will gaffney to come and teach us uh this if you don't know will gaffney oh she gonna change your life uh she is one of the foremost womanist uh bible scholars okay uh, w-i-l i think it's short for wilda okay um, we've interacted a little bit on twitter Friends, if you've got an in with Will Gaffney, I would love to bring her to the show and, and teach us. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I I have been thinking about this uh, return to indigenous mm. as well. Um, even even as as a white person trying to figure out, you know what? When when propaganda was on the show, we were talking a little bit about some of this. Like, mm-hmm. why is it that white people? adopted this superiority idea anybody else could have adopted that but it was us yeah um i had said to prop you know why how it's like how did we get empire so how did we get stuck into this empirical way of thinking um in europe and i thought that was quite interesting that lisa basically draws a straight line from the roman empire to the british empire and I mean the other, the other European empires also, but certainly the British Empire was the the empire to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what and what have I lost in that? And what what have my people lost in that? And 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 one of the things that she pointed out was this this deadening of emotion, this killing of emotion that Europeans did to themselves in order to continue subjugating people. Yeah. You know what what it costs the human soul to to oppress someone mm. else to the horrific degrees that people were oppressed, murdered, raped systematically. Um, and she talked about this, I forget the term, I highlighted it, but it, basically this idea of of like shutting off your emotions. Yeah. And, and I was so, so uh, hit by that, like hit in my belly, like, punched in the guts when I read that because so much of my story has been trying to be an emotional person uh, in a non with a non-emotional upbringing mm-hmm. growing up in a white English influenced stiff upper lip stoic masculine patriarchal culture you know I think somebody could do an analysis of maybe stoicism not not in the whole philosophy of stoicism but just like even just in the sense of the emotional hardness mm-hmm. the coldness the hardening of the heart that has been normal in so many european cultures mm-hmm. and then and then like visibly not normal in many other cultures right like like you can see this contrast and and It'd be fascinating to see at what point the hardening of the human heart became normal within any one people group and what then happened as a result of that. Yeah. So that's just that's just me in my in my bit going, well, what does it mean for me to wh- where were the Britons and the Anglo-Saxons and all the different people that I'm descended from? What 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 was their original blessing hmm. they laid down? over the course of generations to try and be God and rule over the human race. Yeah. That's good. I have no idea. And then how, Oh, sorry, go on. Um, I love that because I love that you talked about how there was loss on both sides. Right. 
And I think that's true in any homogenous culture. We're missing out on the beauty that other cultures can bring. And when you are constantly, when you are having to oppress another people group, which we, I don't believe we are created innately to do, then you are dying to part of yourself. And I'm curious too, even when you go into stoicism, how that plays into our faith, because in the white evangelical world, like how often are we taught like not to listen to our heart and our emotions are of the devil um, and all of that, right? Like it's why we're so hell bent on like apologetics and like, you know, just like we need to have everything to have a nice neat bow. We've, we've lost our ability to have mystery and have unknown and to sit with that Dave Conus, we're interviewing him in a little bit, but he just did a prayer recently. Um, oh my goodness. I apologize. I can't remember the name of the woman he wrote it with. And he wrote it for children with an illustration. It was all about like, God, I'm sitting in my sadness and it's okay for me to just to be sad right now. And how often as Christians, do we not want to be honest about our emotions, let alone bring them to God, um, let alone just actually want to sit in them? Yes. But like the the outward display of passionate emotion was literally one of the signs that white conquerors used. Oh, look at these savages. Uncivilized. Look look how uncivilized they are. You know, even if we just roll a couple of hundred, a hundred years back in British culture, it's like, oh, to be earnest about something is like Mm -hmm. the most offensively uncontrolled flaw in the human soul mm-hmm. to care to have a passion it, it fills me with anger because that's all of my hmm. and all of the stuff that i've been working with but um but it still plays out right like you and i are both technically stay-at-home parents and how much garbage is there about that because you've chosen to put a child's emotional I don't, and I'm not saying people who are not stay-at-home parents don't put their children's emotional health at the forefront. But even just that, right? It's like, oh, well, you're earnest about your children. You're passionate about your children. And it's like, oh, like how sad is that? You're missing out on – anyways, that's a whole <laughs> a lot of tangents <laughs> today. We're not going to go there. Let's... We're going to park that one. Yeah, let's put that uh, in the For Trefina to go and do her work. <laughs> Privately. <laughs> okay, the thing about like uh, – Basically, again, I know I'm talking about all this from from the oppressor perspective. That's me. And that's my ancestry. This whole thing about like being God, like Mm -hmm. that again, hit me right between the eyes where she's like, you've got a culture that that determined that they got to choose who lived on land. And what human was and what human wasn't. Mm -hmm. What can we say about someone with that authority, but they think that they are God. And I'm like, yes, that feels accurate. Yeah. And then what if what happens with okay, I'm gonna go here. Go. What happens with monarchy? Because <laughs> I I have I have real compassion for anyone who who's feeling their own pain and their own turmoil. Uh maybe because they love them in the context of you love the monarchy in England, or you love it still, you love the queen. That's fine. Your human sense of pain and confusion around that is whatever. Fine. I respect it. I respect people who are... Trifina saying no. She's whispering, nope. I respect when people are in pain. I have empathy and compassion for their pain. However, I don't think it is healthy for a human being to act or be put into a role where, I mean, okay, what are the claims of monarchy? Divine right, uh, representatives of God. They're the head of the church. I mean, that's in, particularly in England. It's not always the same everywhere, but often the head of the church. And I've, I, it's all made sense to me. It's, I've had no beef with it, and it's all made sense to me. And, you know, the the 
Spiritual circles I've rolled in are very interested in seeing Jesus as king and his royal beauty and authority. And it's all about the kingdom of God coming down to this earth. And and then I'm like, but what about the monarchy? And like, yeah, that's just a picture to remind us of this. Mm-mm. And I'm like, Mm-mm. that that worked for me before, but it's not working anymore. I'm like, no, no, this is now reminding me that it cannot be a human. This is reminding me, this is doing the exact opposite of what you're saying it's meant to do. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it, it, it results in poison. It kills people. People die. Millions of people die. Millions of people die. Oh my goodness. So I struggle with the monarchy so much. I struggle with the British monarchy in particular. And this is from someone who... Like, don't get me wrong. I woke up. I watched the weddings, Godforsaken Hours. Like, I grew up in a home and a culture where, as much as we were a very colonized people group, um, we had so much love for the monarchy. I like remember sitting in my parents' bed watching Diana's like funeral. Like, there was so much awe and reverence and mourning around it. Um I just because it's a fairy tale. It is. It's totally the fairy tale. Oh my goodness. I will be a hundred percent honest. Okay. This is like, you want to know how much, like this is Trifina's ratchetness right here. Been a really rough couple weeks. Last night I'm lying in bed. It's like nine 30. I'm like, I'm done with the world. I put on like a Hallmark movie of like a prince meeting, like a random, I'm like, why is this what my mind is going to? I so want to numb out with absolute garbage anyways. So listen, I'm all for the fairy tale, whatever. We were watching the, we were watching part of the funeral of the queen recently, um, partially because I was like, the kids are going to talk about it at school. I want you to, like, it's happening live right now. Let's watch it and let's have a conversation. And we're watching it and we are, you know, they're enamored by like the crown that's sitting on top of the casket and the scepter and all of that. And so I'm like, all right, guys, you want to you talk about that crown? So we're going to systematically talk about every jewel on that crown and what country it has been stolen from, and the millions and billions of dollars that have been ravaged from that country, and the concentration camps that have been built in nations all around the world under her rule still. So yes, like, okay, it's beautiful to like, we can celebrate the opulence and, you know, the jewels and the figurehead and okay, it can represent a beautiful fairy tale. But the other side of that fairy tale is death for people. And that's the part I really struggle with, Mm. right? And we talk about this whole, like, well, they're appointed by God and they have this divine right. So what they have like a different level of Holy Spirit than the rest of us. Like, do we not say that we don't believe in a junior Holy Spirit, but yet we're saying that we're willing to say that somebody has closer access to God, which then, okay, so let's ask the question about our churches. Because do we not treat our lead pastors like monarchs in our lives who have like higher access to God? And okay, sorry, you know what? That's another thing that Trifini needs to process on her own. (laughs) But yeah, I really struggle with the monarchy right now. Yeah. And anyways. I feel yeah. like you're thinking something, Jonathan. No, I'm no, I'm with you 100. I I actually, I I pulled up this quote for something unrelated, but it's it, it's fitting from The Crown, the first season when uh, young Elizabeth is wrestling with with her future, mm-hmm. and she's talking to her grandmother. Mm-hmm. And Mary says, Queen Mary says, monarchy is God's sacred mission to grace and dignify the earth, to give ordinary people an ideal to strive towards, an example of nobility and duty to raise them in their wretched lives. And then she says, so I'm like, okay, so I've got 101 problems with all of that. Then she says, monarchy is a calling from God. Okay, so now oh my so many goodness. layers of bias. This is why you are crowned in an abbey, not a government building, why you are anointed, not appointed. It's an archbishop that puts the crown on your head, not a minister or public servant, which means that you are answerable to God in your duty, not the public. 
And it just, I feel like we've taken so many things and woven them all together to make a really complicated, naughty mess. Yeah. Because shouldn't we all be accountable to God in everything that we do? But also, aren't we all representations of the image of God? So aren't we then also responsible to each other like like yeah, exactly like like the the way that we are responsible to god is, is responsible to one another exactly right if paul says love your love your god uh, lo- love the lord your god with you know the first okay okay hold on Back the up. old testament commandments right we have all these and jesus is tested by these people and he says yeah there's this the first the greatest one is to love your god with all your heart and soul mind and soul the second one is like it love your neighbor as yourself Paul later says there is one commandment mm-hmm. to love your neighbor. I know I preached on this at your church, so I'm <laughs> literally preaching to the choir. But Paul has figured out that the way we love and honor God mm-hmm. is by loving and honoring our neighbors as yeah. ourselves. And it just feels like we've created all of these false dichotomies and pitched them all against one another and woven all these things together to justify all these kinds of things to lift us out of our wretched lives because heaven forbid we got honest about our pain. Heaven forbid we got honest and cried out to God Mm. for justice and mercy instead of human leaders, people we've appointed church pastors yeah we do exactly like exactly the same thing i've wrestled with this regarding the pope you know i i've benefited a lot from coming into catholicism or a lot of catholic stuff later in life Mm -hmm. but i can't get behind this particular personification role Mm -hmm. authority at all Mm -hmm. And then just even the idea of like, okay, so to lift us up out of our wretched lives, who determines whose life is wretched, mm-hmm. right? What is that? Like, I I would beg to say that many of these quote unquote uncivilized nations that existed before the monarchy came, lifted them out of their wretched lives were actually doing a lot better. I think our lands were doing a lot better, right? So <sighs> categorically, right? Like we know, oh this. we know this yes. from, from first nations farming practices yeah. in North America, uh, this is not to say that everyone had everything figured out. No, but no. there was a kind of thriving, a kind of equilibrium. Uh, I, I love Lisa brought that up about uh, libraries and mm-hmm. universities and the incredible uh, sort of social wealth of m- numerous. African nations mm-hmm. that, you know, barely gets time of day in anyone's understanding yeah. of world history. Yeah. I was having a conversation with a friend recently about Christianity in India and how so often it is viewed as this Western religion, right? But actually it has been around for thousands and thousands of years in India, if we look back in like the archives of history, where did like we have stories of Holy Spirit falling in India way before like Azusa and all the things that happened? That's awesome, right? Like you have stories of Saint Thomas there, and I'm just like, how many things have happened? Whether it was in parts of Africa, parts of Asia, um, where we have diminished what has already been happening spiritually, intellectually, all of that, um because it wasn't done in a white way or it didn't come from a white people group. One of the things I loved that Lisa talked about was when she brought back Genesis one twenty six, right? The whole, mm-hmm. let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness and let it, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and how for all of us as humankind to have inherent dignity, there's that call and capacity of stewardship. Like you're called to lead and have dominion over and not in some weird like tyrannical monarchy-ish way sorry I don't mean to call it weird um but what does it look like for us to actually kind of going back to agency from the very beginning of this conversation what does it look like to actually enable people to have agency and power over their own lives Mm. 
Yes. Versus we're sitting around waiting for the monarchy or the white church or, you know, someone to tell us how to, to do it better. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I love what you were saying there, too, about the church, the history of Christianity. Mm-hmm. How about we just say the history of God's work amongst yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, it's good. Because, you know, there's such, ah, I'm just, you know, we go through deconstruction of our faith and we have to work out what's really there. Mm-hmm. And then, and part of that, maybe preceding that for some, it depends, you know, is, is this decolonizing process as well then mm-hmm. of our faith. And over and over again, when I listen to Black Americans, not all, but some of these particular prophetic voices like Lisa, I am, I am, I'm reminded that America has never been a Christian nation. Mm-mm. And I, I, I completely reject that premise anyway. And it, it's, it's such a flawed, the, the whole concept or logical argument is, but it's so pervasive. Mm-hmm. And it's exported over and over and over and over again, and then re-imported elsewhere in the world, and and regurgitated and and, and fed back. And man, living in Europe, and the number of African refugees or mm-hmm. or Middle Eastern refugees who would come to Finland or other European places as a stepping stone to get to America. Of course. And, and and being Canadian was this weird thing to, to be like, yeah, just stay here in Finland, you guys. It's way better. But uh, I wanted to read this um, that I think I think you saw. We might have talked about it. Um, this thing from David Bentley Hart the other day, where mm-hmm. he just he just went off on this podcast. But he said. I honestly believe that America uniquely is the land where Christianity went to die and that the proof that it died here is that it could be so easily supplanted by a completely different religion, also called Christianity, and yet no one noticed the absurdity of it. Wow. And then he goes on to say, Christians have always betrayed Christianity. And they've always misunderstood it. Okay, so fair point. Like mm-hmm. this is this has happened in every kind of movement. Yeah, that this to a degree. But what's happened in America is unique. Christians have always assumed, in a casual way, that Christianity was meant to affirm whatever it was that we wanted to be valued. Okay, so Christianity turns out to be, on a surface level, a really great tool for empires and monarchies and so on and so forth. Right? It gives you all this great language that you can mm-hmm. mess with. And he goes on, but I don't think there's ever been another culture that could so sublimely corrupt and so sublimely efface the original gospel and replace it with something else, with a counterfeit that's not just a dissemblance, but almost a polar opposite in the way that American religious culture did to Christianity. I don't know what else to say about America, he says. We're the most religious country in the developed world, supposedly, but it's definitely not Christianity that forms our religious consciousness. Wow. Wow. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I would, oh, sorry, go on. No, no, go ahead. I would even lump Canada in there. Like, I know we have a different political climate and we would argue that we are less of a Christian culture, but look at our national anthem. We still choose to evoke God's name in that, right? Like we still, I think we have, we have this piety about it. Cause we're like, Oh, we're not the States, but I look at a lot of the theological stuff we pump out and it's very similar. Yeah, the fact lot. that we're not the States is fully the basis of our, our value. <laughs> uh, that's a separate issue that Canadians uh, need to explore. Yeah. yeah but uh, yes. And it's, going to require uh, embracing Indigenous peoples and Indigenous values to figure out what this land is for. Which is interesting about America, because America was so, like the little I know about their history, was so 
hell bent on removing the monarchy and ensure like they're they're not like you know they're not part of the commonwealth they are their own independent nation yet in so many ways have reestablished i mean i think i think america and okay i know like most of my audience is american and so if i'm if some of you feel like um we're both of us are really speaking out of turn here please message us privately and let's have a conversation but from my understanding of reading a lot of american history and a lot of canadian history there's this philosophical thing where america essentially just the the founders and again this is not Ah, see, this is so interesting because it's not just any one person's fault. It's not one person's idea. It's it's kind of what happens and then what doesn't get stopped. And it's like a momentum. You want to talk about the invisible hand of capitalism? This is the invisible hand that crushed all the people living on this land in the first place. And America was essentially steamrolled. And it was like a total erasure of where we came from and who was here and we are going to build something new. Mm. That didn't happen in Canada. Canada was settled by canoe. And there's a lot of trouble and a lot of pain in Canadian history that I'm not denying. But where America was essentially settled by the wheel and the speed of a roaring machine, Mm. Canada was settled kind of on horseback and on canoe in mm. a way that changed because because that's the that's the way this land had to be navigated that is the the only way this land is lived is communally because it's you know it's cold and it's mm-hmm. wild and again we come back to this point that the indigenous folk here had figured out how to live in this land had figured out how to share how to trade how to navigate waterways how this land was meant to be lived on and then we came and determined new ways. But in the United States, that erasure was more complete than anywhere else. And and I think, and Lisa also points this out in the book, that, um, again, for white people, when you lose where it is you came from, all you're left with is just this myth of whiteness that we all just sprung up or have always been here, I guess, is more the truth, that we've always been here. Of course, we don't come from anywhere. We're just the edifice of power. Hmm. Um, but then you're completely untethered from any kind of meaningful value system and tradition and your heart. Yeah. Which brings us back to just the death of our emotions and our soul in the process. It's so interesting. Like I love the history. I love learning the history of how our nations came to be, or just even how our theology came to be. Cause I like nothing ever happens in a vacuum. Right. And I can see how, even when you talk about the States being created on like the invention of the wheel and, you know, being steamrolled in so many ways in Canada being settled by the canoe, you still see how that plays out in our country's, in today, right? Like even our own political climate, like we're still slow to make changes. And there's a beauty to that. There's a harm to that, right? Like even if you look in our churches, we're very slow to like move things too quickly versus the friends and the family that I have in the States. It's it's like, well, no, we're just going to, we're going to, we have an idea and we're going to move it. We're going to move. Right. And so you see how this, like this culture gets created and it stays and it permeates in so many different ways. So many thoughts. Yeah. But I was I was so thankful to connect with Lisa. I was so it was it was quite a profound experience for me. And I was really grateful to share it with you. Thanks, Jonathan. And I you honestly, like it felt really humbling to be able to have the conversation and to hear her heart and her wisdom. And it also just gave me hope. I'm like, okay, so the three of us can sit and have this conversation from all of our different places in the world. You know, there's there's beauty for the world we're building for our next generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so hope-filled. That's true. Thank you for mm-hmm. saying so hope-filled. She embodies hope and um, life and joy. Yeah. While not holding anything back. No. And she talks about that, right? The trauma that exists in the black body and just like 
even in, like the trauma that existed in fortunes, but like her ancestors' bodies and how she has to, had to work through the trauma that lived in her body from the generations before her, just all mm. of it. So to be able to walk through the hard content and the intensity on a daily basis, but to still embody joy. Yeah. Like that to me was just so powerful. Mm. Yes. Mm. Amen. 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 Well, I'm curious what all of our listeners have to say, like what their thoughts are on it, on the episode, because she was just mind blowing. So, you know. Yeah, please tell us. Please tell us what you thought of Lisa. Tell us what you thought of these meandering reflections. Just what spoke to you, because I think it's going to look so different from for all of us. Okay. The other thing that that I had, that was so moving to me was, do you remember when, uh, Brent Jean's brother forgave the ki- the guy who'd killed him. And it was like this video kind of went viral maybe four years ago okay. or three years ago. And, and see all these people in my feed were so blessed. Like, look at this. This is amazing forgiveness. And a lot of mm. other people elsewhere in my progressive circles, especially uh, my black circles were like, we don't want to see any more black people people letting white people off the hook yeah yeah okay i do remember this yeah and 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 it was like oh i was so confused i had just again it was such a again i didn't know what it's like to live outside this body Mm -hmm. and i just i thought she carried such wisdom and dignity to explain the problem when forgiveness is offered to the oppressor Mm-hmm. some kind of gift mm-hmm. i mean that's that's the language i've been taught to forgive give someone a gift they don't deserve yeah I'm like i'm gonna give my damn self a gift of freedom and dignity and say goodbye i'm having nothing to do with you anymore and that's how i get free i needed that mm-hmm. i was like can you if you could just explain all things to me <laughs> i feel like It'd be better. Lisa Sharon Harper, the legend. Oh my goodness. She's amazing. I mean, I've always loved her from afar, but now I'm like, oh my goodness. Forgiveness. Okay. But that doesn't, doesn't that even change just the way you live your life and the way you parent? Like this whole, like, well, tell someone you're sorry. And then like, well, do you forgive them or do you not forget? Look, how many times did my kids like, I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Well, I forgive you. Like, absolutely. I preached on this on Sunday and I, he literally started with, so we probably heard about forgiveness from here, right? Mm-hmm. And it's literally our parents being like, go and forgive them, please. Mm-hmm. Because the parent's just tired and wants the fighting to stop. A hundred percent. But but this is completely not what forgiveness is. No. Um, so yes, that's a separate topic. But anyway, I was just, I was so, I was so thankful. I, like I said, I've been following her for like four or five years as well. And I was just like, oh, so blessed. Yeah. She was amazing. <laughs> 